Hey, podcast listener. Are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. Oh, most of them are scared to death of narrowing their target audience. They don't understand that if you narrow their target audience, it'll be superior because they don't understand marketing. They think they need to take everyone that walks in the door. Welcome to Smart Strategy for CPAs, where I help you work less and earn more. My name is Geraldine Carter. My guest today is Hugh Duffy, CEO and co-founder of Build Your Firm Incorporated. Hugh is the leading marketing coach for accountants and takes pride in the impact that it has on their practice and their lives. With more than 30 years of marketing experience, Hugh has been teaching accountants how to improve their marketing so they can make more money in their accounting practice. I wanted to have Hugh on so that you can better understand the role marketing can and should be playing in your business so that your marketing time, dollars, and energy bring the right number of high quality leads into your business. Hugh Duffy, welcome to the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast. Good morning, Geraldine. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks. Happy to have you here. So let's jump in right away with why it is that you think so many accountants seem to have trouble with marketing. Well, I'll tackle it. And, and I've discussed this with many. First of all, most of them would admit that uh, it's not their core competency. It's not something they do well. But most importantly, they've never been trained. Uh, marketing is discipline and you need to learn it. You need to be passionate about it. So they've never learned it in college. They've never learned it working for a large firm. They've never learned it working for a smaller firm because those firms are scared to death that they'll steal clients. Um, so they're not trained. Marketing is always changing. Google changes their algorithm about five, 600 times a year. And most importantly, marketers are expensive to hire. So to a large degree versus hiring a staff person or a bookkeeper in their practice, a marketer is very expensive and something that they typically don't do. And as a result, they try to do it themselves and they do it poorly. Oh, yes. I could see trying to do it yourself and doing it poorly because there's a lot going on. Mm -hmm. So what are some predictable objections that you have when talking to accountants about marketing and how do you overcome those? You're, you're talking about objections they have to doing the marketing? Yeah, so I'm imagining a, a, a CPA comes to you and they may have some desire to market more effectively, but they have hesitations and they're reticent. Maybe they believe dollars spent marketing just go into a sinkhole. Yeah, to a large degree, they don't even know where to begin. Uh, and the reason it's difficult is because they don't know good marketing from bad marketing. They don't understand the dynamics of business-to-business -business marketing. They not only want small business owners as clients, they don't want more 1040s. They have more than enough of those. 
They've tried a little bit of the marketing, hasn't worked for them on their own. They become frustrated. They rely on, you know, referrals from their clients, their, their family, their friends. And as a result, what happens is they tend to scale up too slowly. So it becomes a slow burn and they don't grow at the pace that they need to. And they also can't be selective about which engagements they take on. They can't be selective about which engagements they take on. Dig into that for me a little bit more. Well, in other words, they take whatever comes over the transom. When you use marketing effectively, you can be much more selective. You can price more appropriately. You can position exactly what type of client is a good fit for you, which one is not. Most experienced accountants realize that everyone that knocks on their door is not someone they should take on as a client. Many law firms, you know, vet their clients. Many accountants who are not adept at marketing take whatever walks in the door and feel an obligation to take that person on as a client. When in fact, if they're doing marketing effectively, they're picking and choosing which engagements they take on because to a large degree, those clients multiply like bunnies in a warehouse and, you know, people refer the same types of clients. So you need to be selective about who you allow into your practice. And you can only do that if you're getting more leads than what you need. Gotcha. So this is a common challenge that I see as well among my clients is too broad of a spectrum of who they will accept and really needing to narrow down. So what are some things that you do when CPAs and accountants show up at your door saying, okay, we need some help attracting the right kinds of clients? What are some of the questions that you ask or ways that you guide them to help them narrow for themselves who they want to be targeting? Really, I, it's almost like a life coach. I step back and, and ask them, um, what type of clients do you want? Uh, and I don't accept the answer, the clients that pay us on time, <laughs> uh, which is usually what they think about. I try to ask them who are the good clients and who are the bad clients in terms of how well they fit with their personality, how well they fit with their staff. Which ones um, would you like more of? Uh, which ones would you be willing to be passionate to learn and continue your education, go to seminars, and ultimately down the road, 5, 10, 20 years from now, become an expert servicing that type of client? Who are they? Why are they attractive to you? And why would you be willing to put more time into your free schedule, into your recreation to raise the bar and attend, you know, educational things that uh, might be outside of your bailiwick, let's put it that way. So once they narrow that down a bit and start honing in on the profession or the vertical that they want to become more expert in and really starting to say no to so-so business and certainly bad business, what are some of the results that you often see for folks who come to you and start taking their marketing more seriously? What they start to do is narrow the range of their practice of what types of engagements and what types of clients they are. It could be a specialty that they, they develop in their practice as a service. It could be IRS problem resolution. It could be an expert witness. It could be international taxation. Or it could be an industry. And what I'm trying to do is get them to scale up and to get 25 to 50 of the same type of clients, learn from their clients, and from there, start to leverage up their marketing to increase the flow of those so that they can raise the bar in terms of the depth of services that they're providing for that particular type of client, 
more than just providing them a P&L and bookkeeping services, starting to raise the bar as a consultant, an expert, a value trusted business advisor, uh, in terms of helping that type of client, you know, raise the bar and, and compete more effectively. That's really what we're trying to do is, is, is to raise the bar versus just the generalist, which is delivering a little bit of year on tax planning and bookkeeping, uh, which anybody can do. I think a lot of accountants are going to buy into this in theory. Putting it into practice requires getting past some hurdles. Accountants tend to be conservative with their investment and their spending in their business. And I'm wondering what kind of ROI you have that's measurable for them, if that's even a thing. We don't look at it individually. What we try to do is look at it in aggregate. And what we look at is what are the best practices to operate a practice at twice the profit margin industry average. The industry average for an accounting practice is a margin of about 25 to 35%. And then what we do is look at, okay, what's it gonna take to get them to the 40, 50, 60% margin level? And it's not, you can't look at it individually. You have to look at it in aggregate. And there's a bunch of practices you need to do to be able to operate more efficiently, to have scale, to elevate, you know, basically the fees that you're able to command and defend. And then once you're able to accomplish that, then you continue to scale up and put a little bit more marketing money on the table, uh, either to broaden your geographic radius beyond just the local city that you're in or a five mile radius you're in and start to do it statewide or maybe multi-state, depending on the depth and the amount of competition in the specialization that you're starting to do. So we do that over and over again. What Ultimately, what someone has to do is realize they can't be a jack of all trades. They can't possibly service the needs of every Tom, Dick, and Harry. It's impossible. The tax code is too difficult. Everyone wants business done a different way. What a restaurant needs is different from a construction firm, which is different from a law firm, which is different from a doctor, a dentist, a veterinarian, you name it. So you need to figure out what business are you in? What do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, and if you scale up, are you able to command a premium? Are you able to um, delegate that work and operate it like a business? And ultimately, if aggregate enough of these, are you able to command a margin in your practice that is dramatically better than industry average? And you are. It's, it's, it's really simple. It's, you think about a lot of franchises. A lot of franchises are doing business in very unattractive types of businesses, but they do it efficiently and they do the exact same thing over and over and over again. You know, doctors do it that way. Lawyers do it that way. You can't try to do all aspects of the law or all aspects of medicine. You have to figure out what types of clients do you want to service? How do you become superior at it? How do you build a reputation of being the best person in your geographic marketing area at that? And then start to command a premium. And that's really what it gets down to. You can't be everything to everybody. Yeah. I love this part about you have to be the go-to person to be known for the being in that vertical and being the one to go to mm-hmm. for expertise and guidance. And that's what really, that is one key piece of being able to raise your prices and like you say, defend them because it's really worth it. You know what you're talking about. 
So when somebody comes to you and say they're a small firm or say they're solo and they have a website that is a homegrown and let's just say all over the map and unclear about what they do and who they do it for, they say that we have broad expertise and we serve a diverse range of people and we meet all your needs from business to family to personal to nonprofit to churches and everything in between. What's the process that keeps it simple and doable for them? I'm literally asking them, what do you want your business to be when it grows up? What do you want more of? What do you enjoy? What works well with your your staff? Because it's not about you. Uh, As a business grows, it has to be a function of the type of clients that work well with your team. Really, what you're trying to do is build a business so that you can delegate the work. So what I'm trying to do is get them to figure out, okay, what aspects of their business are they going to enjoy more? Because life is about being happy and doing this for 5, 10, 20, 30 years. And how to aggregate more of those and how to avoid the types of clients that make you miserable. And I also encourage them to sell their baggage. <laughs> yeah, that's serious. I, I, and I don't mean fire their baggage, fire their bad clients. I'm literally talking about packaging up the clients in the types of engagements that they used to accept and monetizing it. Most people think, particularly in this industry, that you can't sell anything. You can only fire clients. And I disagree. You can package up your payroll clients and sell that. It's very easy to package it up and sell it to ADP or Paychex. You can package up your 1040s and sell it to somebody else. You can package up your your business clients, don't fit your sweet spot, and monetize it. And what that does is it enables you to focus on your core business, re-engineer it, do it right, do it more efficiently, have adequate capacity before you start to scale up the marketing and accrue more of the exact same types of clients so the depth and knowledge of what you and your staff has on that type of client enables you to start to invest other resources. It could be education, it could be writing a book, it could be speaking, but to raise the bar and to create a bigger awareness of your firm is the best at you know this ABC company. Yeah. Most accountants, it's kind of like an analogy I give with many of my clients. And I'll say it to women in particular. It's like talking to your significant other, your husband, and getting him to unload some of the clothes he has in the closet. He doesn't ever, he wants to accumulate and buy, but he doesn't ever want to have a tag sale in talks. Okay. <laughs> You've got to prune. You've got to get rid of the baggage that's holding you back. Okay. And accountants don't think of breaking their practice into pieces and say, okay, I can sell this. I can sell this. I can sell this because it's holding me back. And then I can take what's left, say 50 or 75% of the practice, re-engineer it to become superior at servicing their needs and then starting to scale up the volume because they're worried about, well, can I let this client go? Absolutely. It's an easy asset to sell. You can monetize it in a heartbeat. It's not hard. We do it all day long. So can you give me a story of a client who has come to you in this sort of typical fashion of, I have all these 1040s and all these small scale business returns. 
And I have a small handful of clients in this one particular vertical, and I really love working for them. And I need help transitioning and doing like you say, partitioning off the different pieces that I can sell and thinking like a business owner, not simply or just an accountant, thinking like a business owner, re-engineering and taking advantage of the services you offer. What's been a story of transition for somebody that you've worked with? There's many stories and, and, and they're a lot of fun and they become friendships, to be honest with you, uh, and they continue to grow over time. In this industry, there's many family accounting practices where you have a parent and the child basically assumes a responsibility for the business that their dad had. Okay, And I can think of one in Florida in particular, in Orlando, this guy Grew up in a, you know, a household, three kids, and uh, he was working as an apprentice in his dad's practice, his dad's CPA practice. And he was in college, went to Columbia at the time, and uh, lo and behold, his dad died. So he was a year away from completing his undergraduate degree, came back home, finished his undergraduate degree, did everything he could to keep the practice alive, keep it going, um, and lo and behold, sat for the CPA exam, passed on the first try. So he got stuck in the trap for many years of running his dad's practice, inheriting his dad's practice, because what he did well was keep the lights up. Okay, mom picked up the real estate that the building was in, that the practice was in. He did everything he could to scramble to keep the clients. He probably kept about 65% of the clients that were left over. And he always succumbed to the pressure of this is how your dad did it. And this is the pricing that your dad did. And this is what he did for me. Well, that's doesn't mean that that's how you should run the business. And, you know, uh, my business partner, same thing. This is a stressful industry and you have to figure out how to run it like a business and not to the business and get running your life. And in his case, you know, he was, held to a different expectation as a result of how he became an owner in the practice. Uh, so he did ultimately pack up the 1040s and sell them. Many years later, he packaged up the business clients that he felt uh, obliged to continue to honor the pricing that his dad did. Uh, then he started to invest in technology. So he's done three call-outs that we call uh, and gradually over time, he's, his, his confidence, his, his ability to sell has always been great, but his ability to absorb and manage everything and manage every client differently was very difficult. And the pricing that he inherited was difficult. So emotionally, it was difficult for him to what we call call out the portion of the clients that his dad had. They worked with his dad for a long time and he inherited but gradually over time, he's been able to sell off those as well as some of the, I'll call it the door clients that he took in his early years, whatever walked in the door he took, sold them, really changing his business flow, leveraging technology as a vehicle to operate his practice differently the way he wanted to. And now he focuses on what I'd call dental, veterinary, and some ancillary medical practice clients. And today he is now focused on those three verticals, although there are many commonalities, they're totally different industries, 
Uh, if you talk to a veterinary, they don't say I'm a, a doctor, they don't say I'm a dentist, but uh, there's many parallels and many of the components of what his team and the staff does today are the same, regardless of which of those three industries you're in. Uh, and he's been able to re-engineer a practice that he inherited uh, when his dad died in the practice. And it is today very successful and he, he's enjoyed it. And how many hours a week do you think he works now? He um, probably works about 35. His wife does work professionally. She does travel for what he does and he has kids. So he's large degree. He's the one responsible for the kids. You know, he's upgraded the person underneath him, what we call the reviewer, the person, um, you know, and for many years he uh, had that that reviewer as a suboptimal person that he dealt with. That person had some confidence issues, some health issues. Uh, and he's finally gotten the practice to the point where he's able to have a staff member of uh, the quality that's more commensurate with the types of clients that he has and the type of practice he wants. But no, he doesn't work 40 hours a week, but he's, you know, first five, 10 years, he wasn't there now, but he is there now. And what do you think, not that we need to know specifics, but what do you think, how do you think his income compares to the early days? Well, his margins were about 25%. His hours were very high. Uh, and today his margins probably, I haven't done his recap this year, but he's probably in the 45, 50% range. And his hours are probably a fraction of what they were before. Uh, and his stress is uh, dramatically lower as well. And he's enjoying his kids. Uh, they do do family vacations. They enjoy it, uh, the time they have together. He's in, he feels more accomplished at the business he's built now, even though how he got into it uh, was very different than how it is today. And certainly a sad way in, but nonetheless, a great story that illustrates what can happen when you, when you think of your accounting practice as a business and not just doing being the technician inside the accounting practice. Right. And that's what he was. This is all really helpful, in particular, the story of this gentleman. And I'm imagining listeners going, okay. He was right. <laughs> and I need to I need to take some steps in this. I need to take some first steps in this direction. So what's one simple thing that they can do just to get this ball moving down the field? It doesn't even cost them any money. They really need to step back and think about what business am I in? What business do I want to own? and then partner with somebody to help them on how to get from where they are today to where they need to get to. After that, then partner with a company that can help them from a marketing perspective. To me, marketing is about not just building another mousetrap, but build a better mousetrap. And how can I partner with a marketing company that's gonna enable me to build it's superior, it's sustainable, command a, a prominent, you know, a nice premium. Uh, and five, 10, 15 years from now, be viewed as the best firm to service that particular type of business owner. And that's really what it comes down to. It's not doing more of the same. It's, it's, it's doing something in a superior fashion. I love it. This has been such great material, and I know that this will get our listeners thinking in a new direction, hearing the same kind of information from a slightly different angle. So thank you so much, Hugh, for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Geraldine. I really enjoyed it. 
What stood out to me in this episode was just how much he was on the same page about choosing a vertical or niche to become an expert in and the impact it has to quality leads being able to find you and you being able to command and defend much higher rates. If you want to know if your niche is niche enough, go back and listen to number 91, figuring out your niche so that you can make your marketing more effective and command higher rates is one of the hardest parts of shifting your business from being a traditional accountant to a highly paid advisor. It's a process I move almost every single one of my clients through, even the ones who thought they were sufficiently niched. If you know your business's growth is being held back because you can't figure out your niche, I can help you find it. Put 15 minutes on my calendar. It's totally free and it's my gift to you. Just go to shethinksbigcoaching.com and click on the big fat red schedule time with me button. You'd be surprised just how much ground we can cover in that time. So I hope you'll take me up on it. All right, that's it for me. I will see you next week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down a 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.